You're listening to the Expert Insights Podcast, the home of leading cybersecurity conversations. Hello and welcome to the Expert Insights Podcast. I'm Caitlin Jones, Deputy Head of Content at Expert Insights. I'm excited today to welcome to the show Glenn Pendley, the Chief Technology Officer at Tenable. In our discussion, we talk about the inspiration behind the Tenable One platform, the benefits of preventative or left-of-boom security, and how businesses can ensure they're prepared to deal with an attack should one evade their threat prevention tools. So thank you, Glenn, for speaking with us today. It's great to meet you. Could you please just start off by uh, giving us a little introduction to yourself and your security background and your current role at Tenable? Sure. Um, So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, So I've been in security since the late 90s. Uh, I actually started my career uh, in the United States Marine Corps. And uh, back then, cybersecurity was maybe antivirus. Firewalls were just starting to become a thing. And uh, the I love you virus came out, and it just fascinated me. Uh, So I just started, you know, I started just diving into reverse engineering. I was an ADA programmer, so like in, in the Marine Corps, very old language. But I just, it just fascinated me, and I started uh, reverse that, figured out how to do it, writing my own like viruses and stuff like that. And after I got out, I just wanted to do cyber. Uh, moved to California, actually. Uh, started working in a consulting company, created a product from that, and the rest is history. So I, yeah, I've been at Tenable now for 13 years. Um, for the majority of that time, it was running engineering products, security research, and stuff like that. And now my role is the CTO, uh, mostly responsible for the vision and strategy for the company. I still poke uh, my head in the bottom of the engineering product stuff, but the role is mostly the strategy of where we need to go as a business, look at the market, what customers need, and stuff like that. Okay, great. Thank you. I always love it when someone has a story where they were really inspired by one moment and yeah. you can track it all back to them. That's really nice. I tell people that I love you, right? A lot of younger people, they're like, is that a real thing? I was like, no, seriously. It was a worm that propagated over email and it just told everybody in your address book, I love you. And that was, and it was just, it brought down the internet because, you know, the internet was young back then. Everybody's just getting spammed with I love you. <laughs> Yeah, a little less nefarious than some of the things that we're seeing today, but I suppose that's where it all started. (laughs) So during your time at Tenable, you've architected and brought to market the Tenable One exposure management platform. Mm -hmm. What was your inspiration for the platform? What challenges were you looking to solve with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when you look at proactive security tools, like tools that try to assess the attack surface, uh, before bad guys do something, um, whether it's Tenable or any other product out there, like what they do is they're they're kind of siloed in the sense of I'm going to look for software vulnerabilities, and what I want to do is just quantify risk on CVEs and vulnerabilities because that's what my product does. And then you have a bunch of products that that they do what they do, and it you know uh, security practitioners are then forced to like say, all right, well, this tool is looking at software vulnerabilities, this tool is looking at open source stuff, this tool is looking at cloud, this is... And then nothing is tying the pieces together. And I remember the exact moment. So the co-founder of Tenable, the, the gentleman that invented Nessus, actually, a very close friend of mine, we 
was at my house. This was a few years ago. And uh, I was ranting a little bit that even how we were quantified, risk was just fundamentally flawed. And so we would, you know, we've invested a lot of money, do an amazing job of quantifying the risk of a CVE. Like we use threat intelligence, we use AI, we can predict at a pretty good rate of like when a vulnerability is going to get exploited. Uh, and then we, you know, we have the algorithms that look at like assets, like systems and stuff and quantify the value. And I was ranting saying, that's not good enough. And the example, like I started really, again, I was, I was ranting a little bit, but it was, uh, I'm like, who is using the machine matters? There's so much more context that plays a part that's unique to every single environment. And like a, a very simple example is, if, let's say, you know, you're using a laptop, I'm using a laptop, absolute worst vulnerability in the world using it like it's on both of our laptops every single security tool would say both of those vulnerabilities are equally bad because they're just looking at the vulnerability in reality that that's not necessarily true because if i'm the person that sits at the front door checks ids i don't have access to anything you have access to salesforce data github you're not using multi-factor authentication you're a system administrator you know you are more privileged and have access to more stuff. So whose vulnerability, like, which one is actually more at risk? Yours, not mine. And if you only had two things wrong in your environment, sure, fix two. But people have millions, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many things wrong. So why we made the acquisitions we did, what Tenable One was trying to do is treat proactive security like a big data problem. Like, how do we bring as much data together, whether it's Tenable data, other people's data, start building relationships on all aspects of the state of that environment to do a better job of identifying what I call applied risk. Absolutely. And how exactly is the platform doing that, bringing all of this context together? Yes. Um, so we've been working, you know, we launched Tenable One last October, but we've been working for a year and a half, two years now behind the scenes. A lot of stuff isn't even productized yet. Like we're about to launch some, like really excited about like some groundbreaking stuff. So, you know, almost every one of our customers uses our standards for just you know, traditional VM and all that. that. There's so much data sitting in that scan information. That's like buried and people, most people don't even know the data is residing. So what we, we built it, an actual data platform and multiple different pipelines that are decomposing data from our standards, whether it's cloud, Nessus, all this other stuff. And we're building a, a data model and building relationships around every aspect of every system. So we know that, you know, this laptop has all this software installed. We, we, we know that, you know, G Penalty is installed on it or like it's logging into this because Windows can tell you that, you know. But what we don't know is that Glenn Penley is the CTO of Tenable. This is the permissions he has. So we have to get that information from somewhere else. So we're taking data from a bunch of different sources and then programmatically building these relationships and decorating with a lot of data science, like ML. I, like there's a lot of cool stuff coming around that front. But, and then all of our products are going to be driven off of that. So the more data you pull in, the better the experience will be in the applications that you're leveraging. Definitely, definitely. And all of this comes together to be a really proactive approach to security, trying to sort of stop the bad things from happening before they happen. Um, and we hear a lot of discourse in the cybersecurity industry about left of boom versus right of boom. What are the benefits of using a preventative platform like Tenable One, and how much should organizations rely on these types of solutions? 
Um, I mean, I, I think every organization, like I've never met any organization that doesn't do some form of it. Um, and I think it would be silly if you put it into context of like medical conditions. I guess it's not necessary. Some people just wait to have a broken arm or they're like deathly sick to go see the doctor. But if you want to live a long, healthy life, you get checkups. Like you do preventative medicine. Like you try to stay healthy. Um, that's your best uh, bet of, you know, living as long as possible. And I think most people have common sense and they, they, they do the right investment of preventative sort of, you know, preventative in the sense of like preventative medicine, of doing the right things ahead of time. You have to do both. And I think the challenge that we've seen uh, is kind of what I referenced earlier. Like I think to include Tenable as well, like the proactive security tools have been very myopic and saying like, I'm a hammer, this is the nail, this is risk. And it hasn't enabled security professionals to optimally do that sort of proactive security, which would in turn make all of their, you know, activity driven security tools like XDR, EDR, you know, those sort of things just be better. Like those, you know, those tools can be so much better at stopping when attacks actually happen. If you're reducing the attack surface and the opportunity for people to take advantage of stuff. So it's very, you should never do one or the other. It's they're very symbiotic. Definitely, um, and that kind of leads nicely into my next question. So some say that taking a pro preventative approach may give businesses a false sense of security, um, and that we should always assume breach. How can businesses ensure that they're prepared to deal with an attack, even if they have preventative measures in place? What more should they be doing? A lot of it depends on the organization. So like highly regulated, you know, industries and stuff, like you have to show like compliance to like that you met a certain threshold. So it really just kind of depends on the, the sort of vertical you're dealing with. But just generally speaking, you know, my background of like forensics and reverse engineering and, and doing that sort of stuff, you it's extremely difficult if you were or you even thought you were breached, you have to validate, like you had an alert, like you, you're doing all this proactive preventative security, you're doing, you know, you have all these activity-driven tools in place, an alert comes up, if you have to look what happened, you can't do that without data. Uh, so the more that you can, you know, consolidate visibility and be able to like validate, oh, how can I, there was an alert on this laptop, who was logged into it, at what time, like, what was, did the configuration change? Like new and stuff like this, or new process running? Is a new so there's like just lots of data that you need to like kind of go through to forensically look at you know a potential impact of an attack. And you can't do that if you're not bringing it together and trying to you have any means of trying to go through that. So I think that's regardless of the, the vertical that you're in, you need you need data to be able to validate. You know, yeah, validate. Definitely. And that consolidation piece is something that we're hearing a lot about this year at RSA, bringing um, different tools together with integration or using multiple tools from one vendor rather than multiple vendors um, for that sort of visibility piece. So we've chatted quite a lot about sort of the landscape, how it is at the moment and the challenges that you're helping your customers to deal with now. And I'd like to sort of shift our view to the future, as it were, a little bit. 
So how can we expect the threat landscape to evolve as we move further into 2023 and beyond? We're hearing a lot this year about the rise of AI, sort of global economic downturn, the continued skills shortage on the floor. Um, how will factors such as these influence that evolution? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. The Over the last few months, the amount of questions I get about AI, uh, it's, it's uh, very interesting. So uh, it, it ranges from people thinking that it's Skynet and like all hell is gonna break loose and then some people that completely dismiss it. Um, I think when it comes to the, you know, AI, when I say AI, I'm talking about large language models generated AI. It's, it's funny how now people just, they tie LLMs and that's AI. It's like, actually, there's a lot more to it than that, but ChatGPT is, uh, is everybody, they've done a great job of marketing. Um, but I think what the value that like LLMs and Gen AI brings to efficiencies when it comes to just, you know, creating content, doing like all the positive impacts that Gen AI bring to society, those same efficiencies can be used from attackers as well. You know, so it, on the flip side, you said like the talent shortage. One of the, you know, one of the things that I'm personally trying to, you know, for us to address is if you've ever used a security product, they all are horrible to like interact with from a user experience perspective. You know what I mean? Like they, the, there's a very big difference between like consumer products and this is, oh, this is so easy to use. Security products, there's always a dashboard, there's like tables, there's pie charts, and you're just like, oh my, you know, and I think, uh, the lack of short, like the shortage of talent, it's it's hard for people when they don't know questions to ask and how to interact with the data they're collecting to go back to bring data together. Using you know generative AI LLM technology to uh, enable security professionals to make more out of the data that they're collecting, I think can help you know cover the gap of lack of talent. On the flip side, the bad guys can use generative AI in a lot of interesting ways. Um, I was talking to a few folks the other night here at RSA. Um, they were asking about AI as well. And I referenced a talk that I did here like 10 years ago. And I was demonstrating how you could use like LinkedIn and just social media to do reconnaissance to like very easily say, if I wanted to attack, I would just pick out companies and say, here's how I would attack this company. Just picking out people and certifications. And there's just so much information that people share on the internet. Uh, and then use that for reconnaissance. That takes time, you know, and I, you have to look, you have to know what you're looking for. I was like, with using an LLM, like the ability to do reconnaissance on more companies to get, start building, you know, connections between different types of uh, aspects of a particular organization where maybe I didn't think about it, but like you train a model and you can get it. It just enables the bad guys to, to do more quicker, you know. A lot of people are like, oh, they're going to be able to write crazy malware that they never have before. I was like, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Like, they write basic code. Like, the attackers know how to do that already. That's not where the efficiency comes from. I believe it's a lot of the reconnaissance or finding vulnerabilities in software because you, know, you can look at a piece of software, see how the code's written, and look for other types of software that have patterns like that to be like, I wonder if I can exploit this, I wonder if I can exploit this. So it just makes the job of 
what attackers do, just more efficient. Just like on the flip side, the good guys can do that too. It just as vendors, you know, security apps, we just need to build that and enable them to do it because the bad guys already have that. So I see over this year and in the future, it's going to just the amount of things are just going to escalate. We just need to keep up with the the amount. It's my prediction. But I can be completely wrong. So are there any steps that businesses can be taking now to sort of um, protect themselves against that? Obviously, um, with this scouring so, uh, social media, for example, we can imagine that there'll be even more spear phishing attacks and that kind of thing. What can businesses be doing now? I, you know, I think that in the near term, where I see like what what I would recommend businesses to do. It's things like spear phishing and just even spam and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of anti you know spam technology that people have in there. Those tools have been pretty good for a while, you know, with the algorithms they have to look at with you know, with Gen AI, like those emails that get sent in are like really, really can be really convincing. And you have to wait for this technology to get better on the protection side to be able to do that. In the meantime, education. I think like people have to be diligent and like really pay attention to what they're doing because it's so much easier now and evasion of some of the technology that's been doing an okay job up to this point. I know it's it's gonna be much easier in the short term for you know we as security vendors can catch up and change how we're doing it to match that. So I know it's not a you know a super sexy sort of response, but like really got to educate people on uh, the potential, you know, things that may in, like directly impact them in the short term, mm-hmm. um, spam, uh, uh, prop poisoning, things like that. I think just usage and education, like it's very, I thought of a few ways if I was a bad guy, how to use, you know, this to, you know, you know prop poison people to click on links that are doing stuff. And so it's education make people more diligent than they were before because it's it's even easier now to trend. Yeah, absolutely. And I've just got one last question for you today. Um, what plans does Tenable have to continue to support your customers as we see the evolution of some of those threats? So we've, uh, you know, we've actually employed, you know, AI for the last like five or six years in our, like I think I mentioned a little bit earlier. So mm-hmm. we've made a huge investment. We have some amazingly uh, brilliant people when it comes to this on staff that have been building a lot of the models that we've had. Uh, we've already started and looking at leveraging uh, large language models and stuff for like how can we, not just for business efficiencies, like there's things that we can do to be more efficient, uh, but also from a product perspective, like how can we productize some of this? I think the what I don't want to do and I, what I, I see the world doing is a rush to jump on you know, the AI bandwagon and not doing what is like proper due diligence, like Microsoft's, you know, what they're doing is, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but I'm like, you saw like a Snapchat that that bot was used over the weekend. Like I saw somebody using prompt engineering to write malware through Snapchat. Uh, so again, people rushing to market. I think what we're, what we're working on now from that perspective is more of kind of what I referenced earlier. How can we build an experience where 
our users can interact with all that data we're collecting to one and start asking questions of it and start building insights and talking, not necessarily at the prompt like, hey, write my, you know, build me a report so I can give to my boss, but like, what are some insights that I can see? Like, where, what's the first thing that I should work on today in working through the, that huge data set of all the data that we're pulling together? So it's that sort of experience that can drive efficiencies. That's where our focus is right now. Absolutely, thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that progression and seeing what you guys are up to. It sounds like you've got a lot of exciting plans. Uh, hopefully very soon. It's gonna, yeah. Nice, nice. And thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. It's been really great. Yep, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Expert Insights Podcast. For more, please subscribe or visit expertinsights.com to find interviews with experts and trusted reviews of top cloud solutions.